Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Jijang, a culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing The Chair and Making the Cut, two shows about making it work within an ultimately capitalist institution. Bum. Oh, very good. Very, very good. Wow, thank you so much. You're truly the master at this. Thank you. <laughs> I, I didn't know if I could make a connection, but then I did. And then I just reminded myself that I should stop doubting yeah. myself. You know, believe and just in believe. always. Yeah, man. How have you been, Jenny? Um, I've been okay. I feel like kind of a rocky week for several reasons. Um, no, no. But I'm glad that I'm here talking about TV with you. <laughs> when all else fails, talk TV. Yeah. yeah. Now I get you. That's true. I Sink you. into the screen. What about you, Pellin? How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah, you know, the internet's terrible. What can you mm-hmm. do? Just a place of depraved anti-thought is kind of where <laughs> I, how I see it. No, I'm all right, though. I've been, um, I started watching Friday Night Lights because they, they oh. put it onto Netflix, like all five oh, seasons. Wow. Did you ever watch this? When it came out? No. I had to read the book for school in high school, I think. There was a I book? Never, I think there's a book, yeah. Holy shit. Um, so, maybe, so I knew that based on, maybe? Yeah, so I knew there was a film. But you No, know, uh, I've never like actually watched it. Well, it's really good. That first season is a banger, mate. Like The whole Texas spirit of like God football, uh, God and football is, is yeah. very, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Or like this American like culture. Oh yeah. Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And because it's filmed like Verite style where it's like shaky camera and whatever, oh. you really you really get into like the spirit of um just the town itself and how it could be any town. Because I didn't know, is it real? Like is the town real from the book or is it like a fictional town? Do you remember? Uh, the town's Odessa, right? I don't know. No, well they call it Dylan. Um oh. so I think it's like a fictional Texas town. But yeah, Good. this this British girl is uh just, just <laughs> rolling around in this Texas shit. Yeah, this is yeah. American education. Indeed, uh, indeed. Speaking of American education, yes, um, and also the depravities of the internet. Actually, um, <laughs> tell, tell <laughs> yeah. me what what did you watch this week? This week I watched The Chair on Netflix. Uh, you might have seen the trailer for it with Sandra Oh, but it's created by academic and writer Annie Wyman. She has a PhD in English. Mm. Um, and it's co-created with the actor Amanda Peet, mm. who you might recognize from Something's Gotta Give. She was the daughter, I believe. Um, so this show, like I mentioned, it stars Sandra Oh. She is Ji Yoon Kim who is the newly appointed chair of the English department at a fictional Northeastern Ivy League university called Pembroke College, which is funny because there is a Pembroke College at Cambridge. So I feel like that's where they pulled it from. So this is basically a six-part, 30-minute episode series, which is very Mm. short. So the whole whole thing kind of clocks in at three hours, which is nuts. I don't know if this is a miniseries. I don't know. I I believe it's supposed to be a miniseries, but as we previously Mm. discussed, uh, that can change. That can change. Any moment. Any moment. So despite its short run, Ji-Yoon is tasked with a myriad of issues to solve. So (laughs) she has to basically like... You know, from from the first couple of episodes, you understand that she has to save her elderly professors from going out to pasture by force um, mm. to help her her star professor Yasmin, who's played by Nana Mensa, uh, get her get her some tenure, get mm. her to give like a notable speech. I didn't really understand what the hell that was, but uh, you know, whatever. Academia, I don't yeah. Know. Um, and then also avoid 
avoid her friend slash maybe love interest Bill, who's played by J. Duplass, um, from getting permanently cancelled by an honestly incredibly (laughs) stupid act of satirizing the Nazi salute in his his lecture, which was fucking ridiculous. Anyway, some students filming it, it goes viral, you know, the rest. All the while... Uh, trying to figure out how to raise her adopted daughter Juhi, aka Juju, played by Evelie Carganilla, um, who I would simply die for. Um, <laughs> she is adorable. She is my ideal daughter. A little bit sinister, wholly adorable, very smart, <laughs> just a fantastic child actor also. Um, so it packs a lot in the three hours, and I'm honestly really impressed by the writing, the fact that they were able to include all of these like uh, stumbling blocks for their protagonist mm-hmm. and also explore thematic issues or explore like issues of this time within academia. Really, really impressive. And I have honestly, like after the three hours, I have a real affection for like a lot of the characters in this, mm. which is, I think a sign of like meaningful writing. Yeah. And the way that, you know, each line, each scene is important and is it's an incredibly it's just really really terse i think there's no line or no scene that's wasted um Mm. so i i love that about this have you finished it yet jenny yeah i finished it all on friday night (laughs) it came out friday too so that's a good yeah yeah Yeah, on top of it um it it felt really nice to be able to watch something from from start to finish it's just like one long sitting yeah um it does pack in a lot i kind of almost wish there may be like two more episodes or there was time to like linger a little bit on some of what was happening because it does really like come at you just like one after the other and then back into like problem a and then back into problem c and then doubling back over and over again yeah i kind of wish there was a little bit more to stay and like i don't know with the implications of certain problems or what you know they mean and the Mm. characters like what is their background like where are they coming from um it does like convey the sense of character as well but i would have loved just like even more uh maybe that's like a sign of quality as well that i wish it were actually longer yeah and you know we talk sometimes about it leaves you wanting more um this is an example of that but not in the way that i felt like anything was missing it's just maybe it was a little bit too terse like it could it could have definitely like you said even just one more episode because i think the final episode took me by surprise by the way that it ultimately ended up yeah being resolved happens um and i just yeah i i I would have liked a little bit more expansion on that um just to see the effect that it might have had but i guess the reaction of jiyun just being like well that's that then is is again like testament to her character and the way that like you know she tries so hard throughout the season and then you know what ultimately ends up happening is that it's not ideal, but it's something that she can handle because she's grown so much over the yeah. six episodes. So I get right. it. Um, but yeah, I'm same as you. I just, I really wanted to just spend more time with these characters, which is a good sign overall. Mm-hmm. What do you think it says about academia? Because academia as a television subject, it hasn't mm-hmm. really been covered that much, understandably. It's not the most interesting place. Um, <laughs> but. The way that I see it, academia in general is like the bubble of all bubbles, truly. Like, it's yeah. like you're in a different plane of existence. I think you realize this even as a student. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's especially pointed for those that continue on to get a PhD or want to work in academia. 
it's like a world where like nothing and everything matters all at the same time Mm -hmm. and it matters so much like so so much you know there are some examples of shows greek i think is one of them but i feel like that's more of like a sorority fraternity show definitely in the uk uh the creators of the green wing they created something called campus uh which ran on for a little bit and then stopped uh airing it's hard man it's hard to kind of turn that into something that is viable in the long run so i thought it was smart of them to do this as a mini series i think it's smart that it's a half hour comedy slash drama um because i feel like there's a lot of comedy within it but yeah i i uh, do you think we need to have more shows about academia yeah now that you mention it it is kind of surprising that I mean, high school shows, they're just like a plethora of them. There's mm. an abundance or too many, one might say. Yeah. Um, but meanwhile, college or, you know, post-grad going into like master's or PhD programs there, there does seem to be less options, just less, less content there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. it kind of reminded me a little bit of Dear White People, uh, you know, mm. the movie turned series that was also set at like a prestigious, uh, Ivy League-esque school. And uh, not so much in, like, the, you know, focusing on the faculty, but more about, like, the intertwining of, like, social issues or, mm-hmm. you know, contemporary yeah. social issues into how this story unfolds and, like, uh, how each character sort of gets enmeshed in that. And, of course, just, like, the the aesthetic, like, the vibes of just, like, this East Coast kind of, like, uh, Ivy League, very classical, historical place. And another shout I would like to give is A Different World. Um, so, it, it's possible. Like, we've seen it happen. So, I'm not sure. Yeah, like you mentioned, I'm not sure why we have such an increase, especially recently, of, like, teen dramas set in high school and not so much of university. I don't know. I think there's, like, almost an element of, like campus culture or the the issue of campus culture it's like such a i guess like hot topic issue like there yeah. are thousands of like pundits and opinion writers who mm-hmm. like to weigh in on what's happening um yeah but it becomes maybe thorny for tv or like drama like essentially mm-hmm. more or less teen dramas if they want to pursue a teen drama uh there's so much more baggage i feel yeah. almost with like the the campus culture arguments or debates that that are kind of happening right now but i think like if the you know tv or movie if they choose to like delve into that it can be really messy but also you know very satisfying as like an intellectual exercise to think these through and how to represent these and like i i do kind of admire that this show attempts to at least like look at that issue like campus culture or like Mm -hmm. free speech on campus culture whatever uh in some way yeah. That I thought was like uh notable because we are in a time where everyone who's like an adult seems to be talking about that and worrying yeah. about that uh, for yeah. various reasons. And it's somewhat evergreen for an uh, a university institution. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think part of the reason why maybe high school versus university has not worked out so much on TV and movies. I I think whether people realized it or not whether writers that were creating these shows realized it or not. The institution of the university is it presses upon yeah the whole thing way more than the high school mm-hmm. does yeah and totally. I think what's clever about this show is that they were like all right so we're going to approach it from the administration side like from the institution side yeah um, and that's why I think it works because then you really get into the crux of the entire matter right, right. like the thing about the institution of the university is that it just remains unfettered by mm. anything that you try to change 
Um, right. anything that you try to like any person singularly or, or even a student body that tries to change it. It's kind of, it's like a Teflon, you know, it just doesn't yeah. stick for some reason. And yeah, I, what's what I like about this show, it just kind of quite elegantly, I would say, shows all the like the macro and the micro ways that it can do that without, you know, getting too lost in the questions that it's trying to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really uh, appreciated that about it. Yeah. Speaking of free speech, though, you know, this show through the character of Bill, uh, the J2 Plus character, it tries to approach cancel culture. And, mm-hmm. well, you know, with me, I balk at any approach of any TV or film uh, to talk about cancel culture because I just genuinely think that it's a little bit too complicated. They're usually very clumsy uh, well, it's, and, it's, like, heavy-handed it, in how they approach it. it. Well, that's what, but I think that's why. Like, I think the the discourse around cancel culture is so complicated that you cannot answer it through mm-hmm. a TV show or a film. And that's why it comes off too obvious or too clumsy mm-hmm. or like half half answered or whatever. I, I got a little bit tense when I when I was watching this, and then as the <laughs> series progressed, um, I got a little bit less tense, just because I think it did a good job of kind of taking away what it's really about, like just stripping away all the noise of it and just bringing it down to what it's really about. And it didn't kind of pick at the unanswerable aspects of it that make it so frustrating to unpack. Yeah, it kind of went more on like the depicting what happens, which is like something gets taken out of context and then the escalation and just like this ever changing beast uh, that gets out of control in one way or another. And yeah, I guess it in a way it was like commenting on like making some kind of comment on this, but it wasn't making Mm -hmm. it too obvious. And it also... I guess drew in some sympathy from all the different sides. Like it's not just that this character Bill is a uh, fascist or that he's like a completely, you know, exonerated, just like affable guy. Yeah. Um, it kind of like shows a little bit of nuance or like at least like how things can be interpreted one way or another. Yeah. I I did want to ask you, like, did it feel true to you in terms of like the example that they picked, which is like Bill you know, doing kind of a, a Hail Hitler kind of uh, salute while he was, like, talking about uh, literature, like, in that context. Mm. And then that being taken, uh, you know, context stripped away, transformed into just this one second of movement and, like, spread across the internet. And then all the students' response to it and to his attempts to, like, explain it. I guess, like, the, my question is, like, did that ring true to you in terms of, like, Oh, this is like how it would happen. I I couldn't decide whether I was like, mm. yeah, this is like really how it is, or like because part of me was like, this is so stupid. But then I was like, okay, but yeah, a lot of parts of this like are very stupid in real life too. Yeah, I think it's accurate because what I think the show did a good job of showcasing. If you catch it, you catch it. If you don't, that's fine. Is what Bill did is. He becomes like a moniker for everything that's wrong for wrong about the institution. Yeah. He's white, so he's a man. He's a he... white, he's a man, he's unapologetic about mm-hmm. making his mistakes. He yeah. is able to, you know, coast through life. Like he thinks the whole thing, whole charade is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I think that part is accurate. I think the way that the students talk to him, like there's a <laughs> there's like a quad chat. 
Um, mm-hmm. the, some of the students' talking points were a little bit, I don't know. They, a little they, bit facile, yeah. Yeah, but I do believe that the way it plays out is pretty accurate because yeah. when it comes to cancel culture in general, especially with like one person, no one's actually... The attacks are not necessarily about the person. It's about the larger issue of the systemic fuckery that has yeah. allowed this person to do that without feeling like they have to apologize for it. And I, I think it's mainly accurate. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I know I'm just like going around in circles, but no, I thought no, it was pretty accurate. The, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it seems absurd, in part, that is because in actuality, just the way that these things like happen and like, um, I guess like, they take place and, and avail themselves uh it does contain like elements of absurdity in some ways whether yeah. like good or bad one way or another like whatever yeah side of kind of like the this the political spectrum you set on uh there is an element of like tragic comedy about this in real life totally yeah and there are two scenes that i think kind of justified to me the reason why i thought they handled it pretty well one is jiyoon scolding bill mm, yeah for, that was for not scene. caring and and thinking that this is this whole thing is ridiculous and it's like she says something to the effect of yeah it's ridiculous but the fact that you don't you feel like it's beneath you to apologize mm-hmm. is everything that's wrong with you with you know the whole thing and then at the very end there's like a meeting with the old institution has anvil at his hearing you know she jiyun also says like these kids out there they don't like, they just want us to level with them. They want us to be real with them. They don't want to be, like, intim- not intimidated, but, like, talked down to or whatever. And I think that's basically what it comes down to as well. Cause that, that, and that's why I thought, like, oh, yeah, this is what, you know, quote-unquote cancel culture is about. This is what, you know, the attack mobs or whatever you want to call them that kind of go after somebody. What, that, what they basically want is just an, a discussion about the larger issues, right? Mm-hmm. Um. And there's a point where Bill is talking to these students of the quad where he begins that way. Um, and then it just kind of takes a, a very hard turn. So yeah, I, I appreciate the approach to this because again, it's not, it's really, really not about Bill. It's about Jiyun having to, <laughs> having to fucking baby him. Yeah. Uh, clean up after him and clean up after him. Every it, yeah. And then get implicated into it. But my favorite thing, I would say, that's not even my favorite thing about it. <laughs> like, my favorite <laughs> thing is definitely how much I wanted to be, like, a part of Ji-Yoon's world. Um, I think she's a fantastic female protagonist. She's so interesting to be around, like, just spend time with as a character. She has an amazing daughter. She has a f- very frail and loving hubby who's Aww. played by ji Young Lee, her father. Mm-hmm. Uh, not her real father, but her father in the show. And I think... Sandra O oh was like really in her element in this. We all fell in love with Sandra O oh back at Grey's Anatomy. I think she has a real knack for fully realizing every character that she plays. Like that's the same with Killing Eve. I just think that this is another example of how she just lived in this person and made me feel so much empathy towards her. Like I didn't feel like Sandra O oh was playing a character. It just felt, this is Ji Yoon. Like this, uh, I really got a great read on her. I will say Bill, uh, J D Plus, uh, I think he took up too much screen time and I didn't care for it as much as I should have. I would have preferred to have seen a little bit more of um, Nana Mensa's character, Yaz. Oh, she was like grossly like underserved here, I thought. Like especially the question of like what happens to her at the end. Like Mm -hmm. does she stay? Does she go? They give like one on-screen depiction that kind of suggests 
you know, the outcome of, you know, her storyline here. But yeah, yeah, not really much happening. Um, I agree. Bill probably takes up a little bit too much oxygen, which Mm -hmm. is like a funny uh, metaphor, I guess. Yeah. Yasmin and Jiyoon have several great conversations, but there's one in particular that really, I think, is just amazing. I think it's amazing to see that on screen. You know, between two women of color, one black, one Asian, talking about what it means to be a woman of color, but I guess one that rises to ascension um, a little bit too soon, I guess, or not even too soon, just in a way that she doesn't really know how to handle it. I'm talking about Jiyoon. And just the way that Yasmin clocks her and basically deliver delivers some like hard truths to her, I thought was fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I I thought it was done really well. Like, and that's kind of why I want to see more of Yasmin because I just want to see how these two women navigate this world. You know what I mean? Yasmin's lectures though, <laughs> too much. Why are you singing about Moby Dick? Oh, God. See, this this is the part of academia that I don't miss, just how corny everybody is. Fucking hell, man. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's a great wardrobe, great set design, stereotypical of, like, the academic institution space or whatever, but no one's trying to see, like, what it looks like really because it's disgusting in real life. Yeah. No one's trying to see all that linoleum, mate. Um, (laughs) And, um, yeah, it's also really funny. Like, I laughed out loud at several points, I think, you know, some of the old guard, it's the character of Joan and Elliot, played by Holland Taylor and Bob Balaban, mm. respectively. They're, they're both so good. So I really enjoyed them, especially um, Holland Taylor. So it's a good time. Like, I think what it tries to do about answering the question of the old guard and like the future of academia, it's a lofty thing to try and answer. But I think they did a really great attempt through this really rich and empathetic character of Ji Yoon. So... Shout out to this man. It's like it's, the fact that it's on Netflix is impressive. Straight up, <laughs> like this is is a little bit too good for Netflix, I would say. <laughs> um, but yeah, fun fact: um, Amanda Pete is married to David Benioff. Did you know this? Yeah, wasn't he one of the like EPs or like whatever for this? Like probably he, he and the other guy, uh, the other Game of Thrones guy. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. They were like. <laughs> they were involved in this in some manner. Yeah, because they have like an overall deal with Netflix, I think. That's what. Oh, was that what that is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Anyway, despite all that nepotism, uh, it do- it does work. <laughs> and um, I love Sandra O. Oh. And what's on the docket for you this week, Jenny? So I'm taking a hard turn into fashion. <gasps> Fashion. From academia to fashion. Fashion. Uh, so this week I am talking about making the cut on uh, Amazon Prime Video. So if you're not familiar with this, it's basically Amazon's answer to Project Runway. Um, it's another like fashion competition reality show created by Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn, who uh, defected from Project Runway. And here they're back in the roles as like both hosts as well as like mentor for Tim and judge for Heidi. Uh, the first season premiered last March and the second uh, just recently in July. So I am going to be talking about, I guess, like both of those seasons, um, but also more generally about the fashion competition reality show. Yeah. Just like it in scope and all the different options that are out there right now. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> I'm so happy you picked this to talk oh, about. God. Are you I- done with uh, season two or how far are you along? I'm done with season two. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, great. So we can get into a little bit of the specifics as well, yes. which is very exciting. Yes. Um, so something to note about the show for anyone who hasn't watched it, how it differs, I guess, from like Project Runway or like other kind of shows is it's more international in scope than Project Runway. Like these are designers from across the US, but also from uh, different countries around the world. And they are all supposed to be more experienced and established as opposed to like uh, upstarts or uh, more struggling designers in Project Runway. Uh, they also have access to seamstresses, which uh, means they can focus more on the design. Apparently, this is more reflective of how fashion design as an industry like works in real life. Yeah. And most importantly, there is a lot of money involved. So this is an incredibly high budget show, you can tell. The prize is a million dollars. Jesus Christ. Um, Bezos billion. <laughs> yes. And at least in the first season, there was so much travel to just like different international locations and runway shows that are so lavish and out of this world. Like a runway in front of the Eiffel Tower. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, the production so, the production money. Yeah. Uh, absurd almost. Yeah. It's yeah. Wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, so those are the main differences. Uh, although season one was quite different from season two. In my opinion, season one was better, but I I don't know. It, there was just more money involved. There were more designers, more judges, the travel. And of course, season two, it had to be filmed in a pandemic. So there was mm. like not any travel. It was just in LA. It was a bubble. There were way fewer judges. Um, and also, I have to say, I didn't like some of the judges as much. Agree. Um, yeah. What What's your opinion on season one versus season two? Well, first of all, there's no Naomi Campbell in season two, so what's the fucking point, you know? Yeah, that's a big, that's a big sort of loss. I, I'm, don't get me wrong, like, she was probably like, there, there ain't no way that I'm doing this in the middle of a pandemic. Like, <laughs> the, the queen that saw it all coming a mile away. But our yeah, sanitized queen. Our sanitizing queen. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I kind of think they should have just taken the L and done it next year and instead mm. of this year, but... They try to make it work. I think it's really struggling. Yeah. So I I really did not have a good time with season two. Like there were several points where I was just giving up, where I was just like, oh, this is fucking stupid. I'm done with this. I and agree. <laughs> so, so much of it has to do with the lack of talent, I think. Mm-hmm. I think they were just way more talented last year than they are this year. Totally. There so. were more designers last year to begin with, but also just the the breadth and like their different, you know, tastes and skills and talent. Mm-hmm. It really is like a very noticeable difference. Yeah. Um, and like the, the judges, like I mentioned, there's no Naomi Campbell. Um, you know, they have a designer, they have Jeremy Scott basically take the <laughs> role that Joseph Altazara took last, last season. Um, oh, I guess okay. they tried to replace Naomi with Winnie Harlow, who is. Yeah, I guess a model who they call a supermodel. I don't know if you would call her a supermodel. She, I mean, I would, but she's a baby supermodel in my. She's eyes. a baby supermodel, and she, I don't, I didn't really like her quality of judging, um, yeah. as well as like Heidi's quality of judging. To be honest, and they didn't have any magazine people. They didn't have any like more. Uh, no knowledgeable people i guess yeah. about fashion design yeah winnie was approaching it from like i would wear this and it's like yes. honey it doesn't matter <laughs> what you would wear or what your boyfriend kyle kuzma would wear it's literally yeah. just like does this work 
Yes. Don't get me wrong, like I agreed with her more often than not, but it's right. also like that's not how you judge. Um, right. Um, so, and yeah. yeah. And like Heidi already does that like too much. So to have yeah. two people here doing that yeah. um, out of only three, like frankly, leaving Jeremy Scott as kind of the most qualified opinion. I was like, if he's the most qualified opinion, like this is not like a really good sign. And it's a, and it's a problem because Jeremy Scott has such a specific look. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he, yeah. he he's so bright and bold with his design. So it's like he also is approaching it bias in some way. So it's yeah. it's a little bit tough. Yeah, it just it was a it was very very clumsy this season. It, you can kind of tell. Yeah. It yeah. yeah, it did like turn me off a little bit, I think from just the the whole show as, oh, as yeah, a whole totally. which like totally. is the opposite of what any new season should do. Like yeah. this is like actively uh not productive for their purposes, but um I think now like after seeing these two seasons I think I can identify more clearly, like, why my feelings toward the show are so, like, ambivalent mm-hmm. towards now, like, trending a little bit negative. So there's a, a Vanity Fair review of last year's season with a headline that I think sums it up. It's basically Project Runway Goes Corporate. Yep. Which, yeah, that's it in a nutshell. I think the fact that there's so much money at stake, Amazon integration is, like, it tied into every step of the way. Like, mm-hmm. winning design just sold on Amazon. The head of Amazon fashion, like, has a big role in choosing the winner. Um, and then there's so much stress on the winner, not just being, like, the next top fashion designer, but more importantly, who can become the next global brand right. is really telling. And I guess what we end up with are designers who, especially in this season, they're not really doing anything new or interesting so no. much as just, like, being smart commercially and yeah. just surviving longer than the ones who have their more who have more of a niche or who I feel are more like talented in a way, yeah, but they're yeah. just like not as much like available to the to the masses. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah. I d- I didn't understand. It. There seems to be more of a understanding of the mission in the first season, and with this season, it's like the lack of talent or the lack of like innovation with the contestants really showed the ass of the show if that makes sense where it was like they couldn't decide whether they did want something that people would want to buy or whether they wanted something really innovative that would interest people like they from episode to episode they kept like bouncing back and forth between what it is that they wanted right what is it they said they wanted and what they actually meant by that like it just it was incredibly confusing absolutely and that really just like it shows how these two goals are so much at tension. Yeah. Like, yeah, identifying basically who can make the most money for Amazon yeah. uh, versus identifying really who is the most visionary um, next big thing designer. And I think ultimately it proves out that it's the first one that is like going to take home the prize here, which mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't be so surprised by because of course like that, this is Amazon. The whole goal of this is like fashion integration. Yeah. But still it like, it ends up as a disappointing viewing experience for people who really love fashion and design. Yeah. I mean, the reason why we love these, like I love a skill-based competition reality show. Yes, me too. It's just period, like anything. You could do anything. It could be tattooing. It could be makeup. Like I love glow up on Netflix. Me it's too. Makeup. Yeah. It's so good. I don't care what it is. Like just show me people that are, that are very good at what they do and just stick them in a room with other people that are very good at what mm-hmm. they do and just, you know, let's, let's see it play out. The problem with this though is because the rules are so flexible as mm-hmm. to what is required of these people, you really, and thank you uh, in advance for 
congratulating me on this fantastic fashion-based analogy. <laughs> but you can see the seams. Oh my god! <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, but no. <laughs> but, but I just say that to say that, like, you know, for someone that hasn't watched this, I think you already explained it, but. Literally every week, there is a winning person with a winning look, and that winning look goes on Amazon for anybody to buy. Have you seen... Did you go on the Amazon Making the Cut site? You know I did. Absolutely. They look so cheap compared to... They are made cheaply. They are are using polyester and like the cheapest shit they can find. And it really just like... You know, these winning designs are the accessible looks to begin with. They are meant to be more accessible, but... You know, they they further sort of dumb that down into yeah. even more of like a fast fashion kind of thing. Yeah. And given that, it's like, so then you don't value the fashion part of this at all. Mm-hmm. It, again, the whole illusion of that skill, of why it's important to have that skill is completely, it breaks down. Yeah. Because it's like, well, then what are they doing it for? Are they doing it, are they just robots in a room that make fast fashion? Or are they fashion designers? Which is it? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't, I don't like it. Like, I don't like it anymore. I'm not going to watch season three. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious. Like, I'm so over it now. Like, in the middle of this season, I was just like, I'm so done. I'm just going to finish this out just yeah. so I can see who won. Yeah. But I was so done by halfway because it was like, why am I watching just basically like a stupid pitch meeting for an Amazon fast fashion brand? Right. I don't understand it. Yeah, it's like it, I don't care, I but I love, yeah. I love. Fa- Listen, I love out of all the composition TV shows, fashion is my favorite because it's the one that I'm personally really passionate about. Yeah, so uh, this you is like an fashion, insult to me. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like an insult to me. It's like yeah. an insult to anybody that cares about this type of stuff. You know, totally. So. I mean, there's always that tension of like fashion is art plus function and like yeah. commercial, you know, aspects, but. The way that all of these different shows approach that question is is really interesting and telling, I think. Um, so I wanted to take a minute to compare it to, you know, some of the other shows out there. So there's, of course, Project Runway, which is like the OG. We all know and love, question mark, that for various reasons. And then there's Netflix's Next in Fashion, which mm-hmm. was sadly canceled after just one season. Yeah. Um, I will say between like this, this whole slate of like fashion shows out there uh, with these like being the most prominent... Um, I'm like a next in fashion girl. I really, really appreciated the design that was on that show because that design caliber was just like so high compared to a lot of what we've seen in these mm-hmm. other shows. And mm-hmm. I don't know, it just produced the most interesting design and in clothes by far, I think. And it yeah. really focused more on like the, the craft and like the pure, the, the thought that went into it. The judge, like the hosts, I don't really care about as much. Like Tan France, Alexa Chung, they're okay. But they had like some really great guest judges who were like real legit fashion designers and giants in the industry. And I don't know. I, I sometimes I like go back to that show that the soul season there is. And I just like fast forward to the runways and I'm just like, oh, shit, this stuff is this is really good. Yeah. There's like some elements of accessibility, but also more importantly, they're just like expressing like pure aesthetic, like like these different niches and, and like genres of uh, taste. And uh, it's. I don't know. I'm like waxing poetry about it, but I really do feel that is like in terms of the the fashion design that is the I top tier. I completely agree. Like oh my I God, think good. <laughs> I I completely agree because I think like all three of these shows have their pros and cons. Mm-hmm. I think the issue with Next in Fashion was that 
it like i think the hosting and the way yeah. that the the way that the production kind of like went beat after beat felt a little bit awkward yeah I agree um, with that. but yeah if we're there for the talent are you kidding me like it's just it's all a bunch of like central saint martin's kids which already like you know that you're somewhere <laughs> legit um i completely agree like i think there's just something so refreshing letting these kids or letting these adults that are like new in the game or whatever it might be just letting them rock with a challenge every week and just seeing what the hell comes out of their minds like that's what we're here for you know what i mean like that's mm-hmm. that that's the exciting tv but yeah i i really don't care for making the cut at yeah. all anymore it is like quite soulless in a way and mm-hmm. i don't know it's depressing they have all this money yeah. i mean maybe it is partly because they have all this money, but it just, it ends up like this commercial wasteland. Um, yeah. Now to talk specifically very briefly about this, like actually what happened in season two, mm-hmm. um, what did you make of the, the final three designers? Listen, I'm going to love Gary for the rest of my life. Gary me, was the only, <laughs> Gary's the only designer there that's actually worth any second of any of our times with regards yeah. to talent. I think Andrea is very talented on a skill level that you can tell that she's an excellent sewer. She knows how to like cut a design, but in terms of like innovation. No. Yeah. No, she, I don't think she has it. And I think that's why she won. Like, I think, I think she gave them exactly what they wanted, essentially. Like, she's very good at what she does. Like, yeah. She's good at being inventive in the very, very small confines of fast fashion that they give her. Mm-hmm. Um, so shout out to her for winning. Um, yeah. but I think Gary is my winner, personally. So I totally agree. Um, that's, that's where I'm at. My, my read was like, Okay, so we have these final three, one of them in whom is like uh, Andrea, not Andrea, but Andrea, uh, the other one, the uh, Colombian designer who is like a business school graduate who is very entrepreneurial, but her clothes look like some version of Forever 21. And then on the way other end of the spectrum, you have Gary, as you said, who is more unconventional. He creates his own textiles. He has really interesting thought process. He has like a greater vision overall. And then in the middle of them, there is like, the very commercial Andrea, who is like, like you said, perfectly competent, perfectly fine. I don't really see her like greater uh, design ethos because mm-hmm. there isn't really one besides mm-hmm. just being like creating like decently winning designs. But yeah, it's it's the sort of the show wasn't going to pick anyone else. No. Models. Colombian Andrea, though. <laughs> I like I don't mean to be mean because I can't sew anything. <laughs> right. But holy shit dude what the fuck i don't understand it it was like it was like rag and bone but on a budget i just didn't understand it at all (laughs) and i didn't understand i mean the judge's justification for her was basically like oh that's gonna sell that's gonna sell that's gonna sell maybe they're right maybe that's just like a truly cynical judgment but, on that. but i don't even know if it's gonna sell like I don't who know. is buying that now i have no idea and like my favorite was the was the French girl. Oh, Lucy, <laughs> so Lucy, elegant, so just elegant. Like, oh my so god, literally, unimaginably, just batshit. You know, it's just like, are you a stereotype? What I know. It's like picture a French, like a Parisian French woman specifically, and y- this is Lucy, the perfect like yeah. crystallization of all that. Like she clips her messy hair just right <laughs> into her hair, and she's got a cigarette with her wrist just yeah. so loose as yes. she holds it fantastic um but yeah i will say that i didn't really like anybody's look even though i love gary i really didn't like the look in the final 
I was kind of disappointed by all of it, honestly. Yeah. And that's why it was just like, why am I here? You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, if you're looking for looks that are not disappointing, please take our recommendation. uh, Watch Next in Fashion. Maybe petition Netflix to please, like, uncancel it, bring it back. I love that show for its looks so much. I agree. I'm very sad that it was canceled. But Same. Fashion is such a weird... Fashion shows, man. They're like the OG of all of this. And uh, yeah. I will recommend one more tentatively right now. Uh, mm-hmm. HBO Max, they have a new one called The Hype, which is purely streetwear based. Oh, yeah. Did you watch that? I'm watching it right now. I can't really assess. I don't really know anything about streetwear, so I can't really assess like how much I like it one way or another. Yeah. But it is at least a kind of new format on this the genre yeah i saw the trailer for it i'm really not interested man yeah i'm just i like it's not even that i don't like i love streetwear don't get me wrong it's not even that it's just um i just based off of what i saw from the looks and stuff there really wasn't anything that excited me listen i'm like a I'm a haute couture bitch. If I'm going to watch this shit, like I really want something batshit and out there, like I'm an yeah. Alexander McQueen bitch, you know? I so agree with I that. need the drama yeah. when I'm watching stuff like this. So if you're just going to make like you an interesting hoodie, I don't care, you know? Oh, there's a lot of that going on here. <laughs> there's a lot of interesting hoodies. There's so many interesting hoodies. Um, and so that's kind of where I, it's just like more of a taste thing. Yeah. I'm no, sure I it's totally fine. get it. Um, the judges look really like famous and shit. So I'm sure they're doing it. It just seems it's the, what is the problem with HBO Max just giving out 150K and nothing more? Yeah. Have you noticed this? It's so weird. It's like on all their competition TV shows, they just have like a base rate of like sharing it out. Getting to some some Amazon money there. Yeah, man. Warner Media, come on, pay up. <laughs> um Fashion, man. Fashion. Good stuff. Watch uh watch next in fashion and yes. and tell us like what you think. This week for culture notes, we're keeping it short and sweet. The internet is a buzz. With Miss Zoe Kravitz. She inherited that fire pussy from her mom. I swear to God, she is out <laughs> here in these streets. Uh, with Mr. Channing Tatum, the white boy that we all fell in love with back in Step Up. Were you ever into Mr. Channing when he was when he was in his heyday? Not especially. When he wasn't melting a little bit in the face? He kind of oh looks God. like he's a bit melting a little bit in the face. Don't no. get me wrong, I still would, but you know. Not especially, but I did like him in like 21 Jump Street. Um, yeah, he was hilarious in that. Anyway, there were photos. So for anyone that hasn't seen, who's <laughs> been living under a rock, um, Zoe Kravitz, you know, our, our Manhattanite, the girl about town in New York, she was seen with Channing Tatum several times, not just once mm-hmm. in this in this week, which has gotten everybody so excited because we love it when hot people get together. It's really I guess what it comes down rule. to. Yeah. As a general rule, two hot people should always find each other and they should always fuck. I think it's just the way that God intended, you know? <laughs> um, so has it been confirmed that this was like... Or just still just like sightings and rumors of them? I think it's sightings and rumors, but they're also not denying it. Okay, yeah. So I guess we'll just keep going until we get a full-on confirmation of them kissing each other or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we say this, Jenny asks this, because Mr. Channing Tatum is going to be the star of Miss Zoe Kravitz's new movie called Pussy Island, who she is direct- <laughs> like she's It's her directorial debut. Um, and he's going to play like this tech mogul, uh, possible villain in this movie. So it could just be like business meetings and they're just hanging out because they got close while the 
films getting made or whatever. But at the same time, who cares? You know, let's just speculate because that's what we do. Uh, Zoe got divorced in December of last year from her other hot thing that she had, Cole Glusman, who you might recognize from Devs. So yeah, she, you know, she's running through him, man. She has got great taste in men. So shout out to her for nabbing Channing Tatum, who didn't really have the best taste in women. I think he was married to this really hot woman. I've forgotten her name up until like 2019 or something. The dancer, uh, Jenna... Jenna, Jenna something. Do what? Do, do I? Um, something like Jenna. Something, something like that, yeah. And then uh, randomly started getting with Jesse J. Yeah. What the fuck? I still don't accept that that happened, but whatever. Like, he, she looks a lot, not a lot, but she looks a little bit like his ex. So I'm kind of chalking it mm. up to that. But if this is his next move in Miss Kravitz, good for him. Good for him. <laughs> you know, he needs a little bit of Kybella, but it's fine. Do you know what Kybella is, Jenny? No. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> Your silence. I was like, wait. <laughs> I think I need to explain. It's this. Um. It's this injection shot, kind of like Botox, but it basically melts your chin fat forever. Oh, is that dangerous? <laughs> like, no. Is this a commonly used thing. It's commonly used. Like, you get Shit. like you pay by the vial, and depending on how much you want to get rid of. But it's it's insane because it's like it's forever. Like it just you don't have to. There's no upkeep. The same with Botox. Anyway, so Jesus. Mr. Tatum might need a little bit of that because he's doing that little white boy thing where they all just kind of like start melting like wax. But he's still got it, bro. He's still got it. So good for them. Any thoughts on this beyond that, Jenny? <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I've been a fan of Zoe. I think especially with her her role in High High Fidelity, uh, which mm-hmm. was sadly canceled on Hulu. A lot of sadly canceled things. Um, so many. But yeah, she she can get it always. I'm just really happy for this uh, renaissance in celebrity culture that we've been experiencing this last year. All these you couplings, know. these public couplings. Indeed. Obviously, the the ones that started it were J-Lo and Ben Affleck. So yeah. shout out to them for being the first to break the mold once again and and then give us what we wanted and then for zoe and channing for continuing it's like famous people dating other famous people very it's publicly. what we want it's all we want we're such simple human beings this is literally all we want um it's please continue culture. everybody <laughs> all celebrities listening please continue the streak and that's it for us this week if you are watching anything you think we should check out please let us know at criticism is dead at gmail.com by the way we will be doing reservation dogs and rutherford what rutherford falls thank you uh for next week's episode so if you guys want to start watching that so you know what the fuck we're talking about please go for it please at us or dm us at criticism is dead one word on twitter and instagram for anything else for any other suggestions for extended show notes including uh links that basically everything we've been talking about some memes some more links um please subscribe to criticismisdead.substack.com thank you jenny for collating those um and as always thank you so much for listening please rate and review us on apple Podcasts. give us that sweet sweet five stars baby and maybe tell a friend about us thank you so much we will see you next week bye Criticism Instead is produced by Pelin Keskin Lu and Jenny Jija. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Liu.